Welcome to Willard Church of the Nazarene. We're glad you're here. We can't wait to share the service with you.
Father, I think for today. Lord, we just want to hear from you. You have right away. I pray that our hearts would be soft, that you'd supernaturally open our eyes and ears so that we could receive what you'd have speak to us. Lord, let your word ring loud and clear in our hearts. Holy Spirit, convict us, change us, mold us. Lord, remove the pride. Help us to throw down our crowns at your feet. I pray that it would be the decision today. In your name we pray. Amen. Amen. All right, we're going to be in Luke 20. Luke 20, if you turn in your Bibles too there. Luke 20. We're going to be looking at a parable of Jesus that a lot of people probably don't go to and, and talk about too often. But before we get into that, I want us to understand the context and the, and the uh, cultural situation that's typical of this time period. Back in this culture, kids went to school about age six. That's what they did. They went for the first set of classes from age six to ten. After graduating, the best of these students would be invited to go to the next set of classes from ages 10 to 14. And then at age 14, only if you were the best of the best, only the best of the best, would you have an opportunity to become a a disciple of maybe some rabbi. Some rabbi would call you. These rabbis that that called people, they had... uh, they were different than the local rabbi teachers. These were ones that kind of traveled around, and they would have a special authority to teach their particular brand of doctrine, all right? Their interpretation or their new interpretations of the law. A rabbi would say something that is going to sound so familiar if you, if you read the Bible. They would say something like this. You have heard it said this, but I tell you this. Sound, sound familiar? Hopefully it does. And they would give you their new interpretation. Before Jesus and after Jesus, there were these rabbis who had this type of authority. And they would often start schools to teach their, their particular brand, their particular doctrine, their theology. In, in our history, we have the same thing, right? We have theology around people's perspectives. Protestants have, have Martin Luther, and we base a lot, of, a lot of teaching on him. Getting more specific, Methodists and Nazarenes, we, we turn to a guy named John Wesley for, for a lot of thought. And, of course, you Baptists have John Calvin. And oftentimes you see schools crop up that are based also on these lines of thinking. Fuller Theological Seminary, Westminster, Liberty University, Moody Bible Institute. Even, even the Salvation Army was based on, on the Booth family and their particular thoughts about some things. So interesting, in this passage that we're going to be looking at, a question began, began to be asked of Jesus about this rabbi. Where did he get his authority from? That's the question. Who is this man that can heal, that can perform signs and wonders and all these miracles? Where did he get his authority from? Where did he give his authority from, from to offer all these new interpretations that he's putting out there? For example, if you read the Sermon on the Mount, you'll hear him say, you've heard it said, don't commit adultery. 
But I tell you, anyone who has looked at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart. Or you've heard it said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. But I say, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you, right? I don't know if we really grasp this, just how radical Jesus was with his teaching and how he approached different things. But he was always offering these new interpretations, these deeper, not really new just a deeper understanding of the law. So the religious leaders around him, though, wanted to know, where do you get your authority to offer those interpretations? So that's where we're at in Luke 20, beginning at verse 1. One day, as Jesus was teaching the people in the temple courts and proclaiming the good news, the chief priests and the teachers of the law, together with the elders, came up to him. Tell us by what authority you are doing these things, they said. Who gave you this authority? So there's the question. Here's Jesus' response. He replied, I will ask you a question. I, I love this because Jesus always turned the tables. I wish I was smart enough to be like Jesus. Because when they ask him a question, he kind of uh, is like, you ask me a question? All right, I'm going to raise the stakes and ask you a question back. Tell me, John's baptism, was it from heaven or of human origin? They discussed it among themselves and said, If we say from heaven, he will ask, Why didn't you believe him? But if we say of human origin, all the people will stone us because they are persuaded that John was a prophet. So they answered, We don't know where it was from. Jesus said, Neither will I tell you by what authority I am doing these things. You want to play games, right? Oh, you don't? Well, I'm not going to play your game then. Neither will I, right? This is a really powerful question, though, for Jesus. Where did Jesus get his authority from? The Hebrew word for authority is the word shmiha, and it's kind of this commissioning of sorts. So you have local rabbis teaching under somebody else's authority or teaching, uh, uh, or these traveling rabbis teaching their particular brand or their, by their authority. Uh, these would be the ones with the shmiha, though. They, they could offer up new teachings according to that. To get this authority, you had to have uh, rabbis with shmiha to basically bless you or to basically give their approval to you and say that you had it as well. So you had to have the ability to discern culture. You had to have the ability to um, discern the matters of God and to present those things to the people in a way that would help them walk closer to God. If you demonstrated that, then they would give you their blessing. So the question is, who has blessed you? Who has commissioned you, Jesus? And Jesus' answer, well, is what is your take on John the Baptist. John was out in the wilderness, and if you think about it, he was offering up a new doctrine, a new thought, a new interpretation, right? One of repentance, one of baptism, preparing people to get ready for the coming Messiah. That's what John was doing. And you see, the answer of John's authority, uh, of Jesus' authority, really revolves around John's authorities, at least in their eyes, all right? So Jesus had authority because he was God. So that's all the authority that he, he needed. But the people that don't know this and don't realize this, it hinges on John's authority. It's kind of interesting because I heard a, an account of a Jewish teacher who had this understanding of, of Jesus and where he got his authority. He said Jesus' authority came from two people. 
The first was John. When he goes out into the wilderness and meets John and is baptized John, John lays hands on him and, and basically is passing on his authority to Jesus, which, like I said, he did need. But who else speaks at Jesus' baptism? God himself, right? He says, a voice coming from heaven saying this, this is my son whom I am well pleased, right? And the Holy Spirit descends on him. We see the Trinity right there in this moment, right? The Jewish teacher recognized that Jesus is the only person, which I thought was interesting, that received his smiha, his authority from, yes, another rabbi with smiha, but also God himself. Kind of interesting that they recognize that, but don't recognize who Jesus is. But here's my big question for you, and here's what I want us to wrestle with this morning, all right? It is, what are we doing with Jesus' authority in our lives, right? That's what I want us to to think about. Um, Does Jesus have authority in my life, in your life? Right? That's what we all have to wrestle with. This is the great dilemma, according to C.S. Lewis. And he would say that we all have to wrestle with this because Jesus claims to be the Son of God. And the way that that is understood by the people who he made that claim to be, they said, oh, he's claiming to be God. And that was what he, he claimed. Right? So there's only three explanations for that, according to C.S. Lewis. One, he's a liar. He's just lying about it. Number two, he's a lunatic. Right? He's just, he thinks he's God, but he's really not. And number three, the only other option is he is Lord. And so that's what all of us need to wrestle with. Is he a liar? Or is he a lunatic? Then there's no reason to apply him to our life. There is no, there is no way that he is just a good teacher because he made that claim. Right? So we have to make the decision. Is he a liar or lunatic? Then we can discount everything he said. If he's Lord, though, then we have to apply that to our life. Everything he said to our life. So Jesus has this moment where he is questioned by the religious leaders and he doesn't play their game, but he knows they're still listening, right? So he's going to do what Jesus does. He's going to tell a story, tell a parable. Verse nine, he went on to tell the people this parable. Man planted a vineyard, rented it to some farmers and went away for a long time. At harvest time, he sent a servant to the tenants so that they would give him some of the fruit of the vineyard. But the tenants beat him and sent him away empty-handed. He sent another servant, but that one also they beat and treated shamefully and sent away empty-handed. He sent still a third, and they wounded him, and they threw him out. So the story so far is you have this man who, who plants this vineyard. He hires some tenants to take care of the land, right? Harvest crops, and then he would send somebody to get a portion of those crops. The owner sends a servant who, who gets beaten and sent back. Another one is sent, right? And, and, and it kind of ramps up their response. This one is treated shamefully besides being sent back. And then it continues to escalate. These tenants get even more brazen and disobedient. And the third is wounded and is thrown out. Here is Jesus referring to God creating the world having it, and then entrusting it to mankind. Hey, you be stewards of this. You take care of this world. Uh, we're called to handle this responsibility, though, in a certain way, right? We all, we all know this. We're called to give back. But in our brokenness, sometimes we drift, and we don't want to give back 
We don't want to surrender our authority to someone else. We want to do our own thing. And like the tenants, we get even more brazen and disobedient about it. God in his kindness, no, sends servants known as the prophets with a call to return to God, right? Return to his ways. But their messages were often rejected. Sometimes they were treated shamefully. Sometimes they were in prison. Sometimes they were wounded and and worse. The story continues, though, because God's not done. It says this, Then the owner of the vineyard said, What shall I do? I will send my son, whom I love. Perhaps they will respect him. But when the tenants saw him, they talked the matter over. This is the heir, they said. Let's kill him, and the inheritance will be ours. So they threw him out of the vineyard and killed him. Here, Jesus basically gives anyone with ears to hear a view into his future, right? This is going to be my life. God sent the prophet after prophet after prophet, and finally he sends his son. Maybe they'll respect him when Jesus comes, God in the flesh. When Jesus comes, he takes notice, though, of the wicked tenants who represent the religious leaders and how they were abusing their authority, how they were abusing their, their, their power. These religious leaders were putting on a show, pretending to be holy on the outside, while dead on the inside. And they condemned the people and offered them no hope. Jesus speaks to that power. Jesus speaks to that abuse of authority and calls them out, right? He offers new interpretations and spoke with authority, an authority that nobody had ever experienced before. And oftentimes when somebody speaks to power, when somebody challenges authority, what ends up happening? That person often ends up dead. And that's exactly what happened here. Back in this time frame, too, if an owner had a son, an heir to the land, and that son was killed, there was a path for the tenants to then become the heir and to keep that land and claim it as their own. And this is what they thought. Here's the heir. If we kill him, right, the inheritance will be ours. They had power. They had position. And Jesus threatened that. They didn't want to give up control of the land, so they plotted to kill him so that they could keep it. In fact, when Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead, something happens. The chief priest named Caiaphas, right? Very powerful person. This person was endorsed by Rome. He had Rome's backing. This person had political power. This person had religious power. He's the chief priest, right? Nobody's going to mess with him. Not only did he have those things, but he also had financial power. He had had the, the, the offerings from the temple to do as he wished with. This guy was up there, and no one dared with dared mess with him, but then Jesus raises someone from the dead, and all of a sudden, all this power that he had pales in comparison to the power that Jesus demonstrates and he's threatened right he's threatened he's faced with the choice and either i can yield my power to clearly this person who has more power than me or i've got to do something else so what's he do caiaphas gathers the chief priest together and says it's better for one man to die than all of us die and lose rome's backing right that's how he spins it so he and they were unwilling to join in with what God was doing 
if it meant they'd have to surrender their a power, their authority. There's like seven other times that I, that I found where Jesus challenged the authority of the religious leaders, and it was always the same response. We, we got to arrest him or we got to kill him. That was how they, they did it, right? And I mean, Jesus did horrible things like healing a paralyzed man on the Sabbath. Shame on him, right? How dare he? It wasn't about that, though. It was a power struggle. It was about the authority. We look at these accounts and we wonder, how could these religious leaders, they're the religious leaders, they should know better. We can't believe that they're like that. How could they not accept Jesus? How could they, how could they have a problem with him cleansing the temple of corruption, right? How could they not celebrate a person being healed that was lame? But here's the thing. That's you and I. We're the same way. Oftentimes, we're not willing to lay down our authority before the King of Kings, right? And we rebel against Jesus' authority. We look and say, shame on them, but they represent us. When we hold on to our will, when we hold on to our rights, when we put our authority over his, right? We will hold on to what we want to do with our lives. I want you to do this. Now I'm going to do this path. We hold on to our money. I want you to give and support this. No, I'm going to keep it and buy what I want with it, right? We hold on to our time. We have the authority over our lives, but at the end of the day, he's God, and we're called to bow down before him. We're called to throw our crowns at his feet. That's the call. That's the call before each and every one of us in all areas of our lives. I'm asking God today to show us where we're out of whack. I'm asking God to show us some areas of our lives that we are not bending our will to his will. And we know it, right? We know the areas that are out of whack. The call is to surrender those areas. To say, not my will, but your will be done. And I'm going to give you an opportunity at the end to do just that. You can start white-knuckling it now, right? You can start coming up with the excuses now. Because that's what I'd be doing if I'm out there. This ultimately is a story about our hearts and whether or not we will bow down to the authority of Jesus Christ, plain and simple, right? If Jesus Christ is Lord, then that's the call on our lives. And if we do not bow down, if we do not bow down, hear this, we will wage war against the authority of Jesus Christ. And my friends, that is a battle we cannot win. There is no hope of that. The end of verse 15 says, what then will the owner of the vineyard do to them? Here's the seriousness of this. He will come and kill those tenants and give the vineyards to others. There's so many attributes of God that we have to understand. And sometimes we push one attribute over the other. God's a God of love. He's also a judge, though. He's also a God of justice and righteousness, right? We've got to take all those attributes of God and, and not just go to the one 
You know, I, I, he's not going to be, he's going to be okay with me holding on to my crown, putting it above his. No, heck no. Yeah. I hear that. And I have the same response that somebody just said, right? Same response that the people had. When the people heard this, they said, God forbid. Once again, this is a story of authority, a story of servants, messengers being sent out and rejected, a story of a son coming and dying on a cross for us. But this is also a story with a warning. It's a story of a sentence being handed down to those who reject Christ, and we need to hear it. Verse 17, Jesus looked directly at them and said, Then what is the meaning of that which is written? The stone the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. Everyone who falls on that stone, listen to this, will be broken to pieces. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. Teachers of the law, being smart people, and the chief priests looked for a way to arrest him immediately because they knew he had spoken this parable against them. But they were afraid of the people. I have long wanted to visit Israel, and I, I listen to a lot of people that do visit Israel, and, and I've heard them tell stories about these massive rock quarries that they have out there, and they, they get this beautiful stone called the Jerusalem Stone out there. Look it up and take a, a picture of it. It's, it's really kind of cool. You, you'll recognize this. But they would cut these stones in these quarries and actually begin to shape them there, and then they would move these massive stones. We're still not sure how they would move these massive stones to a, to a place like the Temple Mount, though. And the story I've heard from people that have been to Israel is that there was this cornerstone that was cut in the quarry, and they say 500 tons, that just seems too much, but brought to the Temple Mount to serve as a cornerstone, but for some reason the cornerstone was rejected and that was pushed off and rolled down the hill, and there's some other stories related to that. The cornerstone, if you don't know, it would be the central stone that, that would really set how every other stone would be set in this place. It was central, and all the other stones would be set according to that cornerstone. Uh, for whatever reason, though, that in the story was rejected. It was removed, and I think it's symbolic of, of us and our attempt to play God, right, and to build our lives on religion or some other stone that is anything other than Jesus Christ. Whether this count as true or not, we know that Christ was rejected though. But even so, today he is the cornerstone of our faith. A lot of us would say amen, but do our lives show that? Is he the cornerstone of everything in our lives? Is everything built around him and what his word says? So there's really two questions that I want us to really wrestle with. First and foremost, is, is Jesus the cornerstone of your life? Do we accept him as not only Savior and put our trust and our faith in him and, and trust us? I know there's nothing I can do. My hope is in Jesus Christ. My faith is in Jesus Christ. My trust is in Jesus Christ because I know there is nothing that can save me but that, right? But then, is he Lord of our lives? Because after we come to know him, he calls us to walk a certain path, a certain way. He calls us to walk according to the word of God, to the leadings of the Holy Spirit, right? 
And that's what I want us to wrestle with, both those things today. Usually the first happens in an instant. We realize our need for a Savior, but then there comes a time of wrestling, right, where we have to surrender our lives to him, surrender our will to him so that we can follow him. That wrestling match revolves around, does Jesus have the ultimate authority in my life? Or do I? It's going to be one or two of that, one or two of those ways. You can't play it both ways. You can't let Jesus have authority and you have authority. You can't serve two masters, right? So one has to be put to death. And what does Jesus say? Hey, if you want to follow after me, you got to pick up your cross and die to yourself. Have you picked up your cross? If you haven't, you can't follow him. You can't be Lord of your life and follow Jesus Christ. It don't work. It just ends in misery. Because I did that for I did that for decades. Tried to serve me and Jesus. And those two sides of me were at war all the time. One has to die. And I pray if you haven't made that decision today, I pray your decision is to pick up your cross and follow him. Whose authority is your time under, your money under, your talents under, your gifts, your attitude? Oh, Jesus. Attitude? Yeah. Some of us would say, yeah, I'm following Jesus. I'm here. I showed up. But then you start to flip through this book, right? And you see some things, some things that he challenges us with. And the, the idea of authority comes into play. Whose authority? Am I going to do what I want? Or am I going to do what this book, what this word tells me to do? Right? Does Jesus have authority over my bitterness and anger? That will be a question that comes up. Does Jesus have authority of who I choose to forgive? I'll, I'll forgive this person, but I can't forgive this person. That, then you're choosing your authority over Jesus Christ's authority. Right? Now we're wrestling. Right? Now we're wrestling. Does Jesus have authority over my time? Chick-fil-A does a lot better job than I do with time. Right? They, they close down on a Sunday. Take that Sabbath day off. I always want Chick-fil-A on Sundays. It's always closed. It makes me mad. It's easy for us to say, Jesus, I want to be your follower. I want you to rescue me. I want you to redeem me. But I don't want to give up control. But that's the call. I don't want to give up control to every part of my life. You can have like 80%, right? But there's some rooms that I don't want you to go into. Some rooms I really want to hang on to those areas in my life because I like those things. I like doing those things. I know it doesn't line up with your word, but I like those things. And that's where the war comes in. That's where the wrestling match comes in, right? I know it's wrong, but do you have an area like that in your life? I know it's wrong, but I know you want me to forgive somebody, but I know you call me to give, but I know you call me to serve, but I'm scared. I'm full of fear and I don't want to. That's an authority issue. That's a surrender issue. 
I don't know about you, but the hard stuff in this book is not the things that he tells us not to do. It's the things that he tells us to do. Forgive somebody. Yeah, I've, I struggled with that with some family members for a long time, right? But I've submitted myself to him. If I submitted everything, there are times that I think I have, and then there are times that things come up. It's a daily thing. He's going to bring things into your path that you're not submitting. And you got a choice right then and there. Do I submit that or do I not, right? Uh, how, how many of you struggle with habitual sin? And you know the Word of God says confess your sins to each other, but you aren't willing to do that. I can't tell anybody that. You know God's Word says that's where you find healing, but I can't do that because it's too embarrassing, right? That's an authority issue. That's a surrender issue. Spent, spent decades in that area dealing with an habitual sin. And when I started confessing it to other people, hard to do, that's when I found freedom from it. Surrender your will to the will of God. Amen. Fully. Don't hold anything back. That's where the rubber meets the road. We want Jesus without having to pick up the cross. It's a lot easier, right? But Jesus says, unless you do that, you can't be my disciple. If you fail to surrender, one of two things will happen. Verse 18, everyone who falls on that stone, and everyone will, right, will be broken to pieces. That can be a good thing or a bad thing. If it broken, it brings you to a place of surrender, that's great. If it doesn't, that's not so great. Anyone on whom it falls will be crushed. You reject Jesus' authority, you're going to trip over him in your life, and you're going to be broken to pieces. I hope if that happens, you fall towards the cross, and you allow him to pick your pieces back up and remake you, right? Otherwise, you're going to hold on, and you're going to play God, and you're going to get crushed under that weight. You can't bear that. You can't bear that weight. You can't hold up that stone. It will crush you. That's what will happen if you don't surrender. We know this. Some of us are trying to hold the weight, and it's too much, aren't we? Right? It's too much. And some of us keep falling. We keep stumbling over the same old thing that we've been stumbling over all our lives. The only hope we have is to surrender our lives to the Lordship of Jesus Christ, pick up our cross, and follow Him. That's the call. The call is to die. I'm guessing there's people in here that have tired of tripping and being broken, tired of holding the weight and being crushed, and they're desperate to find God. Right? Dallas Willard says, if you want to know where God lives, if you want to know his address, where is God? He says it's at the end of your rope. That's where you'll find him, right? You've chased, you've looked, you've searched, you've ran after all these other things that you thought would be the answer but you've realized, or maybe you're realizing, it isn't the answer. There comes a moment where you need to wave the white flag and surrender to him. Say, I can't do it. I can't be God. I'm tired of trying to. I'm tired, to, I'm tired of trying to save myself. I can't be good enough to do that, right? God, rescue me. That's where you find him. That's where you find him. God, you have to rescue my marriage. God, you've got to rescue my kids. I can't save them. 
save me from this weight of anxiety. I, I, I woke up, I, I think I told you this last week, I woke up a couple weeks ago in the middle of the night, anxiety level crushing me. And I just got on my knees and started praying, Lord, take this away. I can't, I can't bear this, right? How about guilt? How about shame? How many of you are under the weight of those things, right? And, and God says, you don't have to be under those things. Give them to me. Follow me, and I'll give you freedom from those things, right? How about remove my bitterness or my anger, my addictions, my grief? How many of us are under the weight of grief? Lord, I'm surrendering it to you. Until we get to that moment, we're playing church. We're just playing church until we get to that moment. But when we surrender our lives to him and he sanctifies us and he sets us apart, right? That's when it gets exciting. That's when he changes us. That's when he frees us. That's when he sets us on a a new direction. Well, Well, James, I come to church. Yeah, so did the religious leaders, right? Didn't work out too well for them. They missed it. They wanted to keep control, and that's the ultimate issue. They wanted to be God. American Christianity, that's it, man. I think we live in one of the hardest places for the gospel because we're so blessed. We have so much. We don't need, we don't need God, right? We, American Christianity is like a playlist. In my day, I find myself saying that more and more. In my day, you had to buy an album or a tape, and you had to buy the whole thing, Right? Today, you can just buy the songs you like. That's all I do. I don't buy the whole album because there's half the songs I don't like. So I just buy those things. You, you don't even have to buy albums anymore. Probably you can just stream stuff, right? But that's what Christianity has become today. Our playlist is made up of certain things in here, but not all of this, right? The stuff I like, I'm going to put on my playlist. Stuff I don't, I'm going to keep over here. That's American Christianity. And the call of true Christianity is to surrender your lives completely to all of this, to study this, to know this, to learn this, to bend your will to this, to whatever he'd have for you, to whatever the Holy Spirit leads you in. Don't have a playlist Christianity. All right? Don't just surrender the stuff that's easy that you want. Surrender it all. Otherwise, you're going to trip over stuff and be crushed by stuff. That's just, that's just how it is. I want to give you an opportunity to surrender anything that God is laying on your hearts today. I hope you take advantage of it. I hope you do. I'm going to invite you to come to the altar, right? Your pride is going to tell you don't. Your self is going to tell you you don't need to come up here. And in that moment, you're going to have a choice. My will or his will. Because he wants to bring you to a place of surrender. But you're going to want to hold on to it. Right? You're, you're probably going to have some areas in your life that you don't want to give up. You know, like just being honest. Come up and tell him that. Lord, there are some areas I, I like doing this stuff. I know I shouldn't be doing this stuff, but I like doing it. And, and 
I don't want to change that, but Lord, I know I need to surrender my will to you, and I, knew, I need you to, to change me in that area. Maybe that's your, your time up here. Maybe, maybe you just want to say, here's my crown. I'm just going to lay it before your feet and surrender everything to you. Maybe you haven't accepted Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. Now's the time to say, Lord, I surrender to you. Forgive me, right? I'll follow you. I'll put my faith and my trust in you. And I'll do my best to follow you the rest of my days. Give me some grace, right? When I make mistakes, he will. But that's the attempt I'm going to make with my life. That's what I'm going to proclaim by coming up to this altar today. That's going to be my statement to you. Amen? Somebody needs to hear this. Jesus said, man, that his yoke, that his teaching was light. Religion is burdensome. Religion is heavy. Religion is just following, trying to follow all these rules. And he says, come to me. The Jewish people had 600 and some rules back then that you had to follow if you wanted to be a good person. And Jesus said, no, you just, you just come to me. You just focus in on loving me and loving your neighbor, and, and you'll satisfy all the law, right, with that. Hmm. Relationship. We need to have that, right? Today, will you throw down your crown? That's what I'm asking you. Will you throw down his feet, throw it down before him, and surrender everything to them. If that's you, would you come now? If you need to surrender something, would you come now? If you just want to throw your crown down and just make that rededication and that, that statement, would you come now? Don't let pride get in your way, please. Will you drop the playlist? Like, what, what area of your life are you picking and choosing? I know, I know people who, who pray prayers of prayer involving money. All right? Lord, would you give me some more money? Would you help me, you know, would you help me with these things? But then when it comes to what God's word says about giving, they ain't going to give. You want God to solve your money problems? Surrender your life to him and follow his leading, right? Drop the playlist. You want God to free you from your addiction? Come up and surrender it and say, you know what? Here's what I struggle with, man. I, I, I struggled with porn for too long, kept that hidden until I started telling people about it. That's when I found freedom. How long have you been tripping over this thing you're tripping over? How long have you been keeping it a secret? Surrender it. Give it to him. Amen? Give me one last minute. Drop the playlist. Align yourself to God's word and his authority. Wrestle with it. Wrestle with the word of God. I was teaching Wednesday night, man, and something came across, and I'm like, man, I'm going to have to wrestle with that because I don't want to do that. But I'm going to wrestle with him. I'm going to wrestle with the king until he touches me and changes me, until he changes my heart. That's what you got to do, right? Somebody might be called to be a missionary. Somebody might be called into ministry, and you're like, "Uh, I'm too scared to do that. 
I don't want to do that. Wrestle with that. Man, and invite somebody into your wrestling match. Man, you need a tag team partner. Somebody that <laughs> you can tap. Somebody that will hold you up. Somebody to do life with you and help you out in those things. Amen? Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today. Lord, I pray that you would be with these people who have come forward. I pray that you would enable them to lay everything down at your feet. If it's one area that they're dealing with, that they're constantly struggling with, Lord, Father, would you give them freedom from it? Lord, would you help them to confess that to other people in here and to start that journey, Lord? Lord, if, if, if we're in here and we're saying our will be done, Lord, would you change our hearts so that we would say your will be done? Lord, this is key if we want to go out of here and impact this world. Father, lay it on our hearts. Lay the things that we, we don't want to let go of. Give us freedom from those things. Change our hearts and our attitudes. Help us to, to just throw down your crown, our crowns right now and call you Lord. Lord, we love you and we give you praise. In your name we pray. Amen.